Good morning, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we had an awesome uh, day yesterday. We did our uh, we had our bowling day yesterday, our church bowling day, and uh, it was a blast. We had a good time. Um, we're gonna try to plan on one at the end of January, uh, and then I'm pushing for one in because Fe- January, end of January and February, you're looking around like, what am I doing? What am I? What is this all about? Even you know what I mean? Like you get to that point in the Syracuse winter, and you're like, why me? <laughs> you know. So we had a great time. It was just fun. Um, Ten bucks a head. I mean, you can't beat that. Ten bucks a head. Um, the only downside is, 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 and we'll remember this for next time, is, is, is it's all the pizza you can eat, all the soda you can drink, and all the bowling you can bowl for two hours. So, you know, some people have gotten like three, four games in in two hours. But me, because I have the gift of gab, right, and whenever it would be my turn and be like, where's Frank? <laughs> Somewhere on the other side of the alley. We, we didn't barely get two, two games in, and we had to shut it down, which kind of stunk. But um, we had a great time. We had a great time of fellowship, and it's a great time to invite friends. Uh, maybe who've never been to our church that you've been telling telling them about. Oh, our church is cool. You should try it out. It's a good time to uh, good time to invite those folks. Um, we are uh, also talking about. I'd like to do. And we just talked about it. Really, it's not like on the schedule yet. But I'd like to hear some feedback from you guys. Not right now, but you know, whenever. Um, <clears throat> um, I'm thinking like New Year's Eve. It would be wicked cool to do like a worship session. And I don't mean like a concert. I mean like we'll put all the chairs in a big circle and everybody who loves worship and everyone who has an ability to sing or play or you just love worship, right? Because dad will be there and we know how that works. So, um, and my thought is, my thought is like seven to, seven to nine or six to eight, so that you still can have your, your New Year's Eve plans, you know, with your family and friends, whatever it is that you do. Um, but we could also leave it open-ended, you know what I'm saying? Uh, where you, if you want to stay here and worship till four in the morning the next morning, then stay here and worship, you know what I mean? Um, I, I won't be here. I got things to do, you know. But no, I thought that would just be a great way at least to start out your, your New Year's Eve. And if you're planning on going out and, getting, and drinking until you didn't remember where you lived, it would convict you and hurt your feelings, and then you wouldn't do that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Kind of. <laughs> but let's pray about that. I thought that would be just kind of a fun, cool thing, and just like very, like, just run it. You know what I mean? Like nothing planned. Just show up, sing a bunch of songs, worship the Lord, thank Him for all that He's done for us, and, and, uh, and then we could go on. You can go on to your family's house or whatever. Um, let's uh, open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. And we pray, Lord God, that like David, we would hide it in our hearts, that we wouldn't sin against you, Father. We pray that your word, Lord, as we study it, and as we read it, Lord, you would, by your Holy Spirit, Lord God, that you would bring it to life and turn it into that double-edged sword, uh, Lord, for, for us, that trimming sword, Lord, that sword that comes into our lives and our hearts and it shows us, it manifests to us, Lord, whatever is in us, Lord, that needs to change, whatever is in us that needs to be bolstered, whatever it is that is, is in us, Lord, that needs to be exercised. Um, we ask that you would have your work, Lord, through your word in us. We pray that it would have its perfect work. We pray, Father God, that we would hide it in our hearts 
And that wherever we go and whatever we do, Lord God, you, you, would, you would be able to wake us up in the middle of the night, Lord, to speak to us. And you would resonate from this book into our hearts and into our minds, Lord. Uh, we pray, Father, it wouldn't just be a holy book. This would never be an obligatory thing that we do, Lord, where we gather together and we do this thing so that we can prove to people that we believe in God, but, Lord, that this would be our bread. And this would be uh, what sustains us, Lord, in a, in a desert, in a wilderness, Father. Uh, we pray, Lord God, um, that you would be blessed today by our attentiveness to your word and by our worship uh, of you. Um, and we thank you again, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Exodus chapter 5. We, we began last week. This is the song of, the song of Moses. Uh, I'm going to finish up the song of Moses this morning. And Dad is going to uh, pick up in verse 20 with, with uh, Miriam's song, but much shorter. <laughs> you know, she was apparently a get-to-the-point <laughs> person. Because Moses does like this whole chapter of song that goes on and on. It doesn't rhyme, you know what I mean? Like, and then Miriam says... Um, Sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider has, he has thrown into the sea. You're dismissed. <laughs> you know? um, but that, uh, she, it's interesting to me. Just the, the, the I don't know if, uh, it's not the right word. The, the relationship between Moses and his sister Miriam. This is the first time we hear about Miriam again since, do you remember since when? Since she was a little girl. And the Pharaoh of Egypt, the king of Egypt, had made a decree that all born males, all males born to the children of the house of Israel would be cast into the Nile River. Can you imagine? You know, you wonder, you know, we think about the plagues of Egypt and how God had caused the, the river to turn to blood. But you think of the thousands of babies' bodies that were dumped into that river that were thrown into that river, whose bodies were, were buried there. And to me, it's very, very uh, telling that God shows up and he shows you this river to you represents life. This river to you represents the strength of Egypt. Let me show you what it looks like to me. And he turns it to blood. I wonder if God could show up and show us what America looks like to him. What America looks like to him. It's not the land of the free and the home of the brave anymore. There are free-ish people here, and there are definitely brave people that still live here in this country. But we have lost our way. We as a nation have lost our way. The Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, awesome documents, wonderful things to know and to study... But all of those things sprang from the philosophy of Judeo-Christianity. We need to understand that. We don't claim that all the founding fathers were born-again Christians who ran around telling everyone about Jesus. You know, no, they were freedom-loving rebels, and a lot of them weren't godly men at all. But how they were raised and the society that they were a part of held the Judeo-Christian faith as being the preeminent philosophy in the world. You understand? The preeminent philosophy in the world. And so when they wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And he talks about as they are endowed by certain inalienable rights, by who? By their creator. 
And now these hundreds of years later, we show up and our politicians and our judges and so many of the people in our own society are saying there is no creator. There is no such thing as a creator. You are here entirely by accident. You literally came here from goo to you by way of the zoo, right? And there's nothing more to you than that. There is no meaning to your life. There is no higher purpose to your life. And what's more, we're going to make sure that we cast God and his laws out of our houses, out of our court systems, out of our schools. And now we're having a gun debate. Now we're having a gun debate. Oh, it's the guns, it's the guns. It's not the guns, it's the people behind the guns, blah, blah. And you can stand where you want to stand. The problem is we're lost. The problem is, is we have lost our way. You don't change people's minds by legislating laws, by writing laws. You don't change people's hearts by protesting you can cause some change in a society or legally through protests and stuff like that, and it has its place. The problem is, is that the hearts of the men and women of this country have strayed from God, have gone far away from the Lord. Every person, it's like the book of Judges. You know, in the Bible, the, the book of Judges, it continually says this same thing, that there was no king in Israel in those days, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And how did Israel look? <laughs> it was a mess. It was a disaster. They were continually buffeted from without by their enemies, and they were in disarray within their own camp. Because every man did what was right in his own eyes. Now, the Bible teaches us that there is a way that seems right to a man. But the end therein is what? Destruction. The Bible teaches us that we all, how many is all? All, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. God's case against mankind is that we are a rebellious, ungovernable people. And all of us turn to our own way, and we seek our own. We are not magnanimous people. We are not people who esteem others as being better than ourselves. We are a people who look to our own borders. And going back to something political, you know, as far, I am not, I, I, I can get very political, uh, but I don't always know what's, what's right and what's wrong. I know we're a nation of laws, and you have this migrant caravan, right, whatever you want to call it. And some are calling it a migrant caravan, and the other half of the country is calling it an invading force. Okay, whatever you want to call it, we have our country, we have borders, we have laws, all that stuff. Fine, I agree with all of that stuff. But what if, what if we were in Texas and there was a hungry family that showed up at our church? We're going to do call ice. The law is the law, and, I, and, and I'm not saying we don't respect the law, but what I'm saying is my higher calling is to love. That's what we're called to. 
to live our lives in the truth of God's word, to follow him, that he would be preeminent in our life. And the second thing that goes right alongside of the first commandment is inseparable from the first commandment. And without, there is no proof that you believe in the first commandment, Jesus says, that we love our neighbors as ourselves, that we do good and we esteem others as being more important than us. We have, we have lost that. We can legislate and we can vote and we can want this one and all. And let me tell you something. We are going the way of every other nation, of every other empire that has ever been on the face of the planet. The problem with America is that it's entirely peopled with people. <laughs> with sinners. There's nothing wrong with the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. They're awesome. But you can't take the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, and plug it into a society of God-rejecting rebels. It doesn't work there. And so here we are. And we have to remind ourselves as Christians, we have to remind ourselves, we do good, we live our lives peaceably, we obey the law, right? We live in a country where we have freedom to vote, thank God. We have freedom to vote. We can petition our, our politicians. But our preeminent calling is to God. Our preeminent calling is to know His Word and to put it into practice. And that is the difficult thing. And so I wonder if God showed up today how America would look through His eyes. I think when God showed up in Egypt, it wasn't just to free the children of Israel. It was to show the Egyptians how truly powerless their gods were and what Egypt looked like to him. It was a place of death. It was a place of destruction. It was a place of rebellion against the one true God. And God showed it up for exactly that. And I would put it to you that when we get to, in real, real time, <laughs> in real time, when our timeline, when our history intersects finally with the book of Revelation, the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ and the seven-year tribulationary period and all of the things that are going to come upon planet Earth, that is going to be God showing the Earth what it looks like to Him. What it looks like to Him. God's after our hearts. God is after our hearts. If he doesn't have my heart, then my religion is worthless. All of my good works, all of the things that I do, and the ministries that I'm involved with, are only a result, and should only be a result, of God working through my heart. Well, I need to do this. Well, I need to do that. Well, I ought to do that. Well, that may be true. God, what do you need me to do? God, what do you want me to do? God, what have you called me to? That's what's important. Now, here comes Moses. And he knew now, at this point in his life, he's 80. <laughs> he's 80. He thought he knew at 40, right? Oh, no. I know. I know what I need to do. I'll kill a few Egyptians. The word will get around, right? You know? It's like fathers of teenage daughters. What are you going to do when your daughter, you know, brings a boy around the house? Well, you kill the first one, right? And then word gets around. You know what I mean? After word, no more problem, right? 
You know, Moses had this kind of philosophy. Oh, I'll kill, I'll kill one taskmaster. You know, word will get around. Oh, Moses is now Batman. You know what I mean? And whoa, be careful. Bat Moses is watching, you know, from the tops of the obelisk or whatever, you know. And that's not what happened. God allowed his plan to be exposed. And Moses had to flee into the wilderness for 40 years. He's in the wilderness. He's reduced from what Josephus calls a mighty man in word and deed. He was able to dispatch the taskmasters who were set over the slaves in Egypt were the roughest, toughest, most most ornery guys that they had. And the Bible says that Moses lived this way and that way and like that and buried him in the sand. Moses was a beast. And he said, surely the deliverer stands before you. Right? No, 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 no. God's one of God's first, one of his first great object lessons in the person that God seeks to use. What do I need to be? Lord, what do I, well, what do you, what do you got? Well, I got, I got this. I can do this. I can do that. No, 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 no. That's, that's unfortunate. That's, That's all you got, huh? And so Moses is out in the desert and he is reduced. He's boiled down and reduced to nothing. When God finally shows up to him, he's forgotten how to speak. He's a that's all day. God shows up and wants you to stand before Egypt. You know, I can't even speak. I, 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 I don't even know how to talk. He tells God, wow, I have nothing to bring to the table. And you see, Moses thought that he was giving God the reason why God certainly wouldn't want to use him. I've got nothing to offer. I bring nothing to the table. What's that in your hand? This? It's a stick. It's a stick. <laughs> God. <laughs> really? It's just a stick? Throw it on the ground. And now Moses has come to the place where he's realized God has my heart and God has given me a calling. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about him being preeminent. It's about him being worthy. And he holds that stick over the Red Sea and it parts. And the ground becomes dry and the children of Israel pass through it. And the Egyptian armies follow after them. And can you imagine standing on the other side of the Red Sea and watching this? Certainly from the point of view of the children of Israel, whoa, oh my goodness, oh, I can't believe that, I can't believe it. But from Moses' perspective, from Moses' perspective, you wonder if he stands there and in his mind, in a flash, he goes from being a child in Pharaoh's house to a commander in his armies to going out to see the plight of his people and trying to take matters into his own hands to being a fugitive from the law, running away, hiding in the desert to the burning bush, to the Nile River becoming blood, to the plagues of Egypt, and now with a stick and my God, the armies of Egypt have been conquered. I'd sing. I'd sing something. You know what I mean? I'd sing something. Something to be just... Holy, holy... You know, something... You know, I think that this is this is this is a, a combination of 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 of, the, of Moses being overcome with the power and presence of Almighty God, and at the same time, inspira- man, 
There's nothing better. There's nothing greater than being overcome with the presence of God while at the same time inspired by him. If you have ever been studying, reading the word, and pray, Lord, show me. Lord, just, just show me your will and this and that. Or even in the car, worshiping. And all of a sudden, you are overcome with the presence of the Holy Ghost in your life and in your heart. And he at the same time begins to show you stuff. You're, you feel like you've already been halfway raptured. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're like, I think I'm floating. I'm floating, you know. I mean, it is, it is the best If you've never experienced that, that's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for each one of us. No, I wish we could live in a continual, nonstop, never-ending state of rapture like that. You know what I'm saying? Just float around and just, you know, the presence of God, the presence of God. That's what heaven's going to be like. Never-ending, nonstop, forever and ever and ever. Never will you stop being overwhelmed. I think every single time we turn and see the throne and see the Lamb, we will all over again. It's continue. You see the, the elders and the, the, the living creatures when we're shown the heavenly scene in the book of Revelation and they stand before the throne of God and they never stop. They're holy, holy, and throw their every time. Every time they turn and see the throne, oh, they're overcome again. Can you imagine? For eternity, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sadness, no more regret, no more sin, no more death. Just the overpowering presence of God forever. An overwhelming joy. Yeah, Moses sang. You better believe he sang. And at the same time, God inspired him. And it's interesting to me, blonde hair is all over me. You know what I was never prepared for in life? Let me tell you what I was never prepared for. In life, as a father and a husband of a large family, the hair. I'm serious. What's the one thing that you would say that you were not prepared? I was not prepared for the hair. It's it's the situation in my house. Right? I feel like I'm co- walking through cobwebs. You know, you have that, and you walk through, and you're walking, you're walking through the middle of a field, and all of a sudden, oh, God, you know what I mean? You feel like cobwebs? You're, you know, that's how it is in my Every single morning, I spend 20 minutes pulling blonde hairs off of my shirt. Like this. Look, we're, look, at, this, look at this one. Ooh, you know, it never stops. Sometimes I'll swallow it. And I'll be like, I think there's a, oh, and I pull out a long blonde hair. I love my girls. I do. I love them. Thank God. Can you imagine? The things that they have to deal with me are much more annoying, I, I assure you. <laughs> uh, but it's funny. Anyway, um, let's read through chapter 15. Uh, I'd like to start right from the beginning again. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Here it is, guys. The Lord is my strength and my song. What's your strength and your, and your song? The Lord... Well, what's your horse and rider? We talked about this a little bit, little bit last week. Every single, you got a horse and rider in your life. I know you do, because you're just like me. You got a horse and rider that pursues you, that chases you down into the sea, man, that wants to see you run into the deep and destroyed. All of us have a horse and rider. Maybe a little horse and rider, maybe a big horse and rider. But know this the Lord is your strength and your song. And because of that, 
Now, I want you to see this. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Until the Lord is your strength and your song, he will never be your salvation. Now, there are degrees of this, you understand? Because so many of us came to Christ and it was just like, I don't know anything. I just know and I believe, I believe in my heart, I know that Jesus Christ is who he claims to be. That he is the son of God, that he died on the cross for my sins to forgive me, that I could be with the Lord. I just believe that. And at that moment, you may think the Lord is your strength in your song, right? And then you go from the deliverance of Egypt, maybe even through a Red Sea, and you go into the wilderness period of your Christian walk. That's where you really learn that the Lord needs to be your strength in your song. Because now I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. Whoo, that's cool. What are we doing tomorrow? Well, you're going back to work. What? I got to go back to work? I got to do that. I got to do life? Come on, there's going to be a mission. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? I just stay in church or do something like that. I think we should go. Uh, let's all just go into the ministry. You know what I mean? And just sit around church all day long. That's not what dad does. He does a lot of things. There's a lot that goes along with being in the ministry. But let's just, anyway, and then life. And so many Christians you meet, you know, young Christians who get saved, who, 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 are, in, who are confronted and have an encounter with Jesus Christ, and they're saved, and they're, oh, whoa, and the wool is pulled over from their, off from their eyes, and they can see the whole world through the eyes of God, and they can see the, how the Word lays over the, the, the whole planet, and the plans, and the timelines of men, and how God is preeminent, and it's like this world is exposed to them, and they're overcome. For a time. And then as they go into a wilderness period of their life, where's God? Where's God? Where's the joy? Where's the joy? Where's God? I need God. How come God isn't here? God never, ever leaves or forsakes, the Bible teaches us. Only we need to learn the lesson of Paul that I have learned how to abound in every situation. You know, people love to, that's the tattoo verse, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What do you mean by that? Well, I score touchdowns for Jesus. I win motos for Jesus. I, I shoot stuff for Jesus. I, you know, it's, it's my verse, man. You know what Paul was talking about <laughs> when he said I can do all? I'm not saying that it, it doesn't apply. And if you have that tattooed on your body, you should get it lasered removed. That's not what I'm saying. What Paul was talking about, though, was I have learned how in Christ, whether I am abased, debased, or whether I am exalted, I am a conqueror. That no matter what situation I find myself in, no matter how good or how bad it may be, Jesus Christ has won the victory and shared that with me. And I can do all things <coughs> excuse me, who, through Christ who strengtheneth me. That's what Paul was talking about. Man, Moses had learned that. He wasn't even done learning it. He's 80, right? He's 80-some years old. He's just now starting to understand, the Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. The more the Lord becomes a strength in the song of our lives, the more he'll be our salvation in every situation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. He has chosen, his chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. 
All right, Moses, let's just stop there with that rhetoric, okay? God is love. God is love. He's a big hippie in the sky, right? He just is always happy, and there's just, it's pancakes and, and sweet tarts, right? And God, Jesus was a gentle Jesus, loving and kind. No, no, Moses isn't done. Your right hand, O oh Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O oh Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. Oh, and in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright like a heap. That doesn't sound like a sea of reeds to me. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. Literally in the Hebrew, that means frozen. It became like frozen water. <clears throat> um, sorry, I lost my place. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. I think one of the things that it's just preeminently, you know, the most important thing that we need to know about God is that he's love. The most important thing we need to know about God is that he is a God who did for us that which we could not do for ourselves. We could not find the way to God because we're separated from him by our own sin. He made the way through Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches us clearly that the gift is free. It is of faith through grace and not of works, lest anyone should boast. However, God is the same man of war today that he was when this took place. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ said, I have not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. He said, not one yacht or tittle, literally not the crossing of a T or a dotting of an I, will pass away from the law till all things are accomplished that God has preordained and prophesied. Not one yacht or tittle, not one colon or period or dot or punctuation. Nothing will cease from being true about the law of God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We talk about God's grace, and we talk about God's mercy, and we talk about God's great forgiveness. It is easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking that that means that God looks at sin and goes, oh, it's between you and me. It's, uh, it's okay. I'll, I'll pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> I'll pretend I didn't see that. No, 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 no. That's not the deal. It's my sin, it's our sin that held Jesus to the cross. Who crucified Jesus? I crucified Jesus. Oh, it was the Romans crucified Jesus. Yeah, them too. Well, the, the Jews that crucified yeah, them too. And I am every single bit as guilty of his blood as they are or as they were. Every single bit. He said clearly to his disciples, no one takes my life away from me. I lay it down freely. Jesus Christ had to die so that we could be justified to God. It's the only way. That's what his prayer went in the garden. When he said, if there's any way, huh, if this cup, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, if there's any other way that people could be justified and brought to a relationship with you can, and, and, be, and, a, and a path made for them to go to heaven, if there's any other way than this, 
but not my will, but yours be done. Well, God allowed Jesus to walk the path and to be nailed to the cross and to die on the cross for our sins. What's he saying? There is no other way. So there is no just God's okay with that sin. God's okay with that sin. God doesn't look at sin the same anymore as he did in the Old Testament. That's not true. We simply are living in the state or the age we call the church age is the age of grace. But God doesn't overlook sin. He buries it. He buries it. The Bible says we have been crucified with Christ and we live. Yet no longer I, no longer we live, but Christ lives in us. The, the, the picture of baptism is us being buried with Christ and raised to new life in Christ. That's the picture of baptism. God did not call us to be his children to continue in the same sins that we were always committing before. The Bible says that God is angry with sin every single day. And the day of God's judgment is, at some point in time, going to come. We need to remember that. We need to understand that. And I think that it puts a, 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 maybe a sense of urgency in our hearts. People need to know about the truth of God's word. People need to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because there is a day that the door is going to be closed, just like Noah. They mocked and ridiculed and laughed at Noah for over a hundred years while he built that boat. And then the day came when the door was shut and the rain came. Nobody was prepared for it. And the Bible says Moses was a preacher of righteousness. In other words, he was preaching while he was hammering and nailing that, that, that ark together. But the day is coming. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is the judge. People say, only God can judge me. That's the meme you see on Facebook all the time. Only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. That's absolutely right. But we also need to remember, and he is going to judge us. The Bible says that we must all, all of us, must stand before the judgment seat of God. All of us must stand before the judgment seat of God. Some go on to eternal reward and some go on to eternal judgment. There's only one, one, one question that we need to ask ourselves. And it's the same question that God asks when the books are open on that last day, on that final day, on that day of judgment. Is their name found in the book of life? Is their name found in the book of life? Everybody, everybody needs to know Jesus. Everybody needs to know about Jesus. There's no other name given under heaven, heaven whereby men must be saved. That's what the scripture teaches us. It's important for us to remember this. So, you know, when we get to the old, we're in the Old Testament, and, and there's some rough stuff in here, guys. All right? I mean, there's some rough stuff that God did and that God allows in the Old Testament. You read it, and you're like, hey. You know, remember, when, when the Israelites are traveling towards the promised land, towards Canaan, they are God's hand of judgment against the Canaanites. When he was speaking to Abraham hundreds of years earlier about the promised land, he said, I'm not bringing you there yet because the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its fulfillment. And so when the children of Israel went into the land of Canaan, they were God's hand of judgment against the Canaanites, who were guilty of the most heinous acts that you could ever imagine, things we wouldn't talk about ever in mixed company that they were guilty of, that was a part of their religious system. 
You know, some people say, gee, I don't think it could get much worse in America. Oh, 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 oh. oh it could get worse. It could get a lot worse. That's why we need to keep our focus on the Lord. I didn't mean to cheer you up so much. Is that cheery? You know, here's the thing, guys. I, I, I know it's funny when you hey, can't you say something funny, fat man? You know what I mean? Uh, and I love to do that, and I love to make you all laugh, but we, we have to be faithful to the Word, don't we? And man, the Bible, the Bible, Jesus had more to say about hell than any other, and any other person in the New Testament. You know that? Jesus spoke more about hell than anybody else. Because it's important that we understand that the Word of God is the Word of God. I don't like talking about hell, for heaven's sakes, right? I mean, who wants to talk about hell? Who wants to talk about the fact that people who reject Jesus Christ are not going to heaven? That is, that is something that I don't like to say. It doesn't feel good to say that because you're afraid it can hurt people's feelings. And I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I want to make people happy. But God says that all of mankind stands guilty before him because of their sin. All of it, whether our sin is great or small, we can argue about this sin or that sin or is it all day long. All of us stand condemned of our own merit before God. Everybody on planet earth. And Jesus Christ said it himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. And when Nicodemus came to talk to him about that at night, and he said, what must a man do then to inherit eternal life? Jesus said what? You must be born again of the Spirit. You must, your old self must be put to death. You must, you must be willing to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ and not only, not only die that spiritual death to self for him, but then be raised to new spiritual life to live for him. This life is not our own. The Bible makes it very clear. We were purchased with a price. The price of his own blood. There's no greater cost that has ever been paid in the history of the universe than the Son of God being slain like a dog in the streets and treated in the most horrific manner. The Son of God. The King of Kings. What must the angels have thought? As wicked man put their hands on their God and ripped him asunder and bled him out. They must have been thinking, let us go. Let us, let us go. No. But all things must be fulfilled. Jesus Christ didn't die in vain. He died to purchase men to himself. And everyone, the Bible says, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But we've got to call on the name of the Lord. <laughs> there is a proviso there. I believe, I believe in God. I believe in God. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. The word is very clear. God needs to be my life. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about you never sin anymore. You're never going to stop sinning as long as you're in these bags of skin, right? But my heart belongs to him. And I know what he's done for me. And I know where he wants me to go. And I belong to him. It's not my own life, it's his. That's what the Bible calls us to. We don't have any right to explain it away or water it down. Amen? Amen. All right. Come on up, uh, Usher. You can let all the...
Are there, are there any kiddos out there? We just have the ushers up there. Um, so <clears throat> the Lord's table is a great privilege. It's a great privilege for us to share together. And I want you to understand that this is a gift personally given to you by Jesus Christ. A personal gift from Jesus to you. Because Jesus Christ wants to share a meal with you. Remember we talked about this before. In that culture, in those days, you did not share a meal with someone who was just at to you. Because sharing a meal with someone was an intimate act reserved for family and dear friends. Brothers in arms. It was a very, very uh, uh, intimate act that was shared between brothers, family, friends, very dear friends. They were not even allowed to eat a meal with someone who was, quote-unquote, a sinner. And the Jewish people couldn't eat a meal with a Gentile, someone who was non-Jewish. Why? Because they were unclean. Not necessarily because they hated the person, but because they were unclean. They were not sanctified. They had not offered the sacrifices of Moses. They were not forgiven of sins. And to dip your hand into the same bowl with a Gentile was to, was to become one with them in their mentality. So when Jesus Christ said, I seek to share a meal with you, it was very, very, very meaningful. meaningful. And still is to this day, even though our culture has changed. You know what I mean? You eat with people you hate every day. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just, sorry, sorry, it's a dumb joke. But it is. But for us, it's like whatever. You know what I mean? Or you're at a business meeting and it's just like, this is a horrible human being here. You know what I mean? But you know, eat lunch with them. You know, you're doing business. But in that culture, no, 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 no. I love it when Zacchaeus, you know, the tax collector, sinner, he climbs up in a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus and probably to keep the people from killing him, right? Because they hated tax collectors. They hated them because they were dirty rats. And Jesus comes to the tree and he says, well, what are you doing up there? I wanted to see you. Come on down. I'm going to come share a meal with you today, Zacchaeus. For Jesus Christ to go to that tax collector's house and share a meal was revolutionary. But after Jesus Christ spoke the gospel to Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus received it, he said, salvation's come to this house. And because of that, Jesus Christ shares a meal with you and I. This is a, this is a, this is a meal. This, this meal is what you want it to be. It could be, a, it could be just a, a ceremonial thing. What you do? Oh, it's Communion Sunday. It could be that. Or this could be something that is very, very intimate and meaningful between you and Jesus Christ. That's what he wants it to be. That's what he wants it to be. He said, whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Think of me. Share this meal together and think of me. We know from what the Scripture teaches us that where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst. And so we believe that Jesus Christ is here today in spirit. And we believe that as we share this together in faith, believing that this meal represents what Jesus Christ accomplished for us, we're sharing a meal with him. It's so much more important. It's so much more meaningful than just a, a, a traditional thing that we do in church. It is so important. It's so important because Jesus Christ and God is not interested in your religious activity. He wants a relationship with you, right? He wants a relationship with you. So let's, let's share this together. Come on up, guys.